Good morning. Welcome. Um, you know, you can remain standing if you want, for those of you that are able, because they're going to be in James. You can follow along as I read. I uh, want to welcome our online viewers. If you want to take your seat, you can. But we're going to pick it up where we left off last week, chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. And so if you would follow along as I read the text. Whoops, getting ahead of myself here. All right. You ready? That wasn't very convincing at all, but okay, James, by the Holy Spirit, is writing and says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. That's the second time, by the way. We've got one more to go. Verse 9. Don't grumble against one another. Some of your translations render it, don't complain against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And here's the third time. The judge is standing at the door. Let's pray. If you would, please join with me. Father in heaven, settle our hearts and focus our attention by the Holy Spirit, as only you can and always are faithful to do. Lord, you have to get our attention. And once you get our attention, you have to hold our attention. That's not me that does that. That's the Holy Spirit vis-a-vis -vis the Holy Word that we have before us today. So Lord, as Capono prayed, there's something here that you want us to know and see and hear and heed. So as we commit this time to you, we would just ask that you would do just that. Show us what it is that you would have us to see. Speak into our lives that which you would have us to hear, that we might be found faithful, taking heed to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So what I want to talk with you about today is my favorite topic some of yours too, right? The rapture. <laughs> but more specifically, what it is that we can do concerning our own propensity for impatience, weariness, and how about this one? <laughs> Even complaining in our waiting for the Lord's return. As I sought the Lord about the text that's before us today, I really have this sense that the Lord had a word for us today concerning the rapture, really the imminence of the rapture, the nearness of the Lord's return that the Lord is at the door. I mean, really, that's what the text is about. 
James addresses this very matter in light of the imminence of the rapture of the church. Now it's important to understand that James, which is the first book of the New Testament, right? It was written to encourage Christians to live by faith, walk in faith, live in faith. So I found three such encouragements. You might find more, but no less than three that speak to, as an encouragement, our longing for the Lord's coming. I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy by the Holy Spirit as he neared the end of his life, having finished the race, having fought the good fight. And he knew that it was just a matter of time, and he was right. And he writes to Timothy and basically says to him, I know what awaits me, the crowns, the crown of righteousness, and not just me, but all those who long for, yearn for, groan for. I've got a few more on the list. I'll let you fill in the blanks. The Lord's return. Uh, I'm thinking about, and maybe this is the Holy Spirit, just bear with me, but I think it's in Romans chapter 1, very powerful chapter, by the way. I remember what we were teaching, I was teaching through Romans, we were studying through that book. I wept through the whole chapter, the whole teaching. I was so embarrassed afterwards. I left right after church. I just, it's, it's so intense about the whole creation just groaning, and how God had just given them over, not wanting to force Himself on those who were burning in lust after women, and women, and men, and men, and just the, the groaning for His return. And even Peter talks about it the whole creation. And it's almost like right now, if you listen closely, and some of you are going to look at me like, wow, you're losing it, Pastor. But if you're hearing things now, I kind of am. I'm kind of hearing this groaning of all of creation in this yearning for the Lord's return. Well, Let's start with the first one in verse 7. And I know this is something you don't deal with at all. So it's just theoretical. Be patient. Now, this example of a farmer that James uses here would have really hit home with them. I mean, he's speaking to them right where they're at as an agricultural society. And they would have understood this exhortation, this encouragement to be patient for the Lord's return, because that's what a farmer would have to do. They would have to continue to wait, work, be patient, watch, and trust that the crops would come, that the rains would come. 
And just as the farmer would have to patiently wait by faith, patiently, did I say patiently, <laughs> for the harvest? So too do we have to wait patiently for the rapture. We just don't sit idly by waiting for that trumpet to sound. No, we occupy until He comes. We're busy about the things of God. Listen, I, I grew up in a very small farm town. Wheat, wheat was the main crop. Uh, very small. When I say very small, let me put it into perspective. My graduating class, the class of 1980. Why are you looking at me like that? You ready for it? Wait for it. 16. Oh, thanks a lot for that. Courtesy laugh. Small. We're talking small. Small farm town. So small that when school was supposed to start, usually in September, I mean, this starting school in August was so foreign to me until we moved here and my wife moved back home to Kailua. And I'm like, they're starting school in like the end of July. What is up with that? Well, on the mainland, in this small farm town, September. Of course, the school year would finish in <laughs> like June. But anyway, small farm town, if those crops weren't in, that school didn't start. They would delay the starting of the school, which meant that we would have to have school later into the summer to accommodate for those days that we missed at the time of the harvest. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? It's the urgency of the hour, the nearness of the Lord's return. And Jesus would say it this way, pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers, because see, this is life and death. There's only a small window of opportunity here. Because if you don't harvest those crops, you lose them. They will be lost. And those crops are souls, the harvest of souls. So they would have understood this dynamic as it relates to being a farmer. Farmers were the hardest working people you'll ever know. Very hard workers. You know what's really interesting, and maybe I'm taking it too far, but farmers were always watching and looking up the weather. Oh, that's another thing Jesus said, didn't He? In fact, it was more by way of a rebuke. You guys know how to determine the weather by looking at the sky, and you see clouds. You say, hey, a storm's coming. You hypocrites. You can interpret the signs of the sky concerning the weather, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. There before them is the Savior of the world, God incarnate. And they couldn't discern it. Hardworking. They worked all the time. I actually knew that a potato farmer because where I lived in Washington, it was close to the Idaho border. And uh, of course, Idaho is known for uh, potato. We're talking real potatoes back when, anyway, I'm not going to go off on that. Best French fries you'll ever eat. But um, 
this is how hard of a worker he was when it came time to uh, harvest those potatoes. He would work all day at, as long as he could until he could work no more. Then he would sleep in his truck. And first thing in the morning, as soon as the sun came up and he could see, he'd start working again. That's, that's hard work. That's hard work. Well, what's your point, Pastor? Well, we need to be working and busy. We have a harvest to get in. So this farmer is working, but he's also watching. And he's also, by faith, patiently waiting. And if you think about it, <laughs> when you first plant the seeds for the crops, can you imagine a farmer going out the next day going, where's the crops? You just planted them. Be patient. Many years ago when we had um, uh, planted what are known as, and for those of you with green thumbs, you'll know what these are, arbovitas. They're a nice shrubbery, you know, to create kind of a nice hedge. And we had this huge backyard <laughs> in Hawaii. We don't Anyway, so a uh, huge backyard. And so we planted 53 of these arbovitas. Had a, uh, a brother help me. But I couldn't afford to buy the tall ones, you know, that were sort of mature already. So I had to buy little itsy bitsy baby ones, you know, like two feet tall. And then they're even shorter because you put them in the ground. And they're, they, <laughs> one foot of them went in the ground. But anyway, here, here's my, my arbovitus. And being the patient, godly man that I am, I'm watching those things. I'm like, because we need a hedge. And I'm thinking the rapture is going to happen before these things grow and become a hedge. So what do I do? Well, I went out and I bought some miracle grow. <laughs> and I'm out there spraying miracle grow. I didn't read the instructions, you know, I don't care, you know. It's a, so I just put a lot on there, and I'm, and I'm spraying them, and I'm yelling at them, come on, let's get this show on the road, and let's grow. And I'd look out there every day, and no, there's still, in fact, one day it almost seemed like they were even smaller than like the day before. No, it's, it's called patience. You just have to wait. Well, that's the problem. We hate to wait. I've shared this before. It's been a while, so I can share it again, I think. Not that there's a certain amount of time in between, but I had just left the house, wonderful devotions, you know, time with the Lord, praise the Lord, you know, worship music, in the Word, prayer. You know how that is, right? You don't want it to end, but you have to get to work. So it had to come to an end and get in the car. Still got the worship music playing, and I'm driving, and a car cuts me off. And it has personalized plates on it. H8 2 W 8. Did you already figure it out? Oh yeah. You know it's bad when God has to speak to you through a license plate. Hate to wait. 
And you know what's interesting? I drive that road every day. I had never seen that car before. And I never saw it again. <laughs> okay, Lord, I get it. You're, tr you're, you're trying to get my attention here, and you're trying to show me something here that I need to be patient and slow down and wait. I know you hate to wait, but you need to wait. Patiently wait. And that brings us to our second one in verse 8, remain strong. These all go hand in hand, and we're going to see that here in a moment. But James draws upon a most interesting truth in concert with patiently waiting for the Lord's return. He talks about standing firm, which carries with it the idea of remaining strong by both the establishing and strengthening of our hearts. Well, wait a minute. I have a question. The question is, how? Well, the answer is at the end of the verse, because the Lord's coming is near. Now stay with me here. When you know that something is that close, doesn't that encourage you in your impatience? Doesn't that strengthen you as you wait, knowing that the Lord's coming is near? This is what, in effect, the Apostle John was told by Jesus to write to the Church of Philadelphia. We talk about this passage a lot in our prophecy updates. It's one of the seven letters to the seven churches. This is the Church of Philadelphia, and it speaks to this very truth about remaining strong until the soon return of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. In verse 8 of Revelation 3, Jesus is commending them. Listen to what He says to them. He's encouraging them. This is not a rebuke. He says, I know that you have little strength. You're battle weary. <laughs> you're, you're barely hanging on. Yet, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He's encouraging them. And then he goes on in verses 10 and 11 and says this, Since you have kept my command, and I know we've talked about this, that's a command. And, and we want it to be a command, because the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. And whenever you see a command in Scripture, it comes packaged with the enabling. God's commands, God's callings, or God's enablings. In other words, God will never command us to do anything without also empowering us to be able to do that which He's commanding us to do. That's why we want it to be a command. It's a command. You've kept my command. I was commanded? What was the commandment? Oh, to endure patiently. Ah, oh, there it is again. You can't get away from this thing. Because you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial or tribulation that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. 
That's the seven-year tribulation. Okay, Lord. Thank you. I'm going to, I have permission to share this. Um, this is a passage of Scripture among many that is what is affectionately referred to as a proof text for the pre-tribulation rapture. I don't know how you're going to twist this into a scriptural pretzel to get away from it, but no matter what translation or even language you read this in, it still says the same thing, that I'm going to keep you from the tribulation that's coming upon the whole world. Uh, notice, conspicuously absent from this encouragement to this church is any mention of, I'm going to keep you from the last half of the seven-year tribulation. Just hold on, just like three and a half years. I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of there. But you have to, three and a, no. The, the tribulation that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now stay with me, please. Don't you find it interesting that the post-trib believer is not attacking the pre-wrath believer, or vice versa? What does it tell you when they're all attacking the pre-trib sound doctrine? Sound doctrine, not theory, sound doctrine. Why is the pre-wrath guy not attacking the post-trib guy? Why is the mid-trib guy not attacking the pre-wrath guy? There, there's a lot of them out there. You know, I, I heard one guy say, well, I'm pan-trib. What? It's all going to pan out. Really? Why? You'll forgive me for this, but why is everybody always picking on pre-trib? What does that tell you? Well, I have a, a couple of thoughts on this. <laughs> I know that's shocking. One thought is this. It authenticates and validates the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. And here's how I get there, secondly. That's the genuine. The counterfeit authenticates the genuine. This is why you'll never see a counterfeit $70 bill. Why? Because there's no such thing as a genuine $70 bill. So let's answer our question. Why, why is everybody always attacking the pre-trib sound doctrine? Because it's the genuine, authentic sound doctrine. And that's why you have the counterfeits which in fact authenticate it. That's the answer. I, maybe I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, do it gently, graciously afterwards, if you do. But I have yet to hear of anyone that is post-trib attacking pre-wrath or anybody else. It's always everyone piling on pre-trib. Just saying. Well, it gets better, verse 11, by the way. 
because he goes on to say, I am coming soon. Now some of your translations render this word quickly. Again, we've talked about it for the benefit of those who might be new to this. Let me just simply and briefly explain it this way. It's the Greek word tacos, where we get the English word for the tachometers in our car, RPMs. It's a gauge that the time's already set, one minute. The gauge is how many revolutions per minute, RPMs. Now that kind of changes the uh, 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 complexion of this whole uh, verse, right? Because what Jesus is saying is, I, I'm coming at a time when things are speeding up, revving up. So just hang on. Be patient. I, I know you're just, you're, your strength is waning but I'm coming quickly. And knowing that He could come at any time, doesn't that strengthen you? Doesn't that encourage you? Well, listen, I, I'll be patient knowing that it could happen any time. That's a game changer. I can hang on. I can hold on because you are coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Well, we're going to turn what might seem to be a corner in verse 9 with something that at first read might seem to not fit, but it does. We may not want it to, but it has to do with complaining. Don't complain. Stop complaining. Don't grumble. Don't murmur. And by the way, against each other, brothers and sisters. Well, now wait a minute. Why would the Holy Spirit inspire James to include complaining in the context of the Lord's return in the rapture of the church? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you asked, right? Well, I'm going to answer it. First, I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what James is writing here. And if you'll bear with me, I'll explain why. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd have to admit that impatience comes packaged with complaining. Now think that through with me. Um, when am I more likely to complain? When I'm frustrated and impatient? That's why. Um, another question. Because God will always package the how of the Holy Spirit with the what of His Holy Word. That's again why we want it to be a command, because God's callings are God's enablings, and God would never command us or exhort us or encourage us to do anything in His Word without also empowering us. So we're found. Think about it. He, he, this is not proper English. He can't not do that. It's inconsistent with His character, because then He would be party to our disobedience. If He set us up for a failure, that's, that's inconsistent with who God is. God will always create an environment in our lives, in our walk with Him, that is conducive to our obedience. 
He'll never set us up for failure. So if, if God in His Word is commanding us or exhorting us or encouraging us to be patient or stop complaining or, you know, remain strong, He's also going to give us the how in order to be found faithful doing it. Aren't you glad God doesn't just say, stop complaining, because I'm God and I said so. Okay. No, I need to know how, because this actually happens to be a big problem with me. I'm talking about me, not you again. I know you guys don't do this. So how am I going to stop my complaining? Answer, it's at the end of the verse. The judge is standing at the door. Here's how it all fits. Knowing that the Lord could return at any time changes how impatient I am, maybe just a little while longer. I'm not as impatient knowing that it can happen very, 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 very soon. Um, remaining strong, I'm, I'm kind of just hanging on. Wait a minute, He's at the door. That changes it. Oh, that, that strengthens my heart. That encourages my heart, because He could come at any time. I just need to hold on a little bit longer. Things are revving up. Yes, I'm just barely hanging on, little strength, battle weary, but He could come at any time. I'm just going to keep on keeping on and hold on, because He's coming, coming soon, very quickly. Okay, Pastor, let's see how you deal with the complaining part. How's that work here? Oh, question. If you knew that Jesus was going to rapture us this afternoon, wouldn't that be great, first of all? Because <laughs> the, when's the rent due? It's coming up. So that'd be great this afternoon, wouldn't it? I love how one said it, I have absolutely no problem in my life right now that the rapture won't solve. It's all a moot point after that. But what if, just a, just a what if question, what if Jesus raptured us this afternoon? Oh my goodness, I struck a chord, didn't I? What would change? Um, okay, Pastor, I, I'm going to look down when I say this. I am a complainer. If <laughs> this is, I'm not, well, I just looked up. So good thing I didn't point. I am a complainer, but man, I, if I knew Jesus was going to rapture us this afternoon, I, I'm, I'm not complaining anymore. I don't have anything to complain about. Well, that's what James is saying. The judge is standing at the door. The Lord's return is at the door. Jesus is coming very, very soon. It can happen any time. And that should have such a profound impact on how we live our lives, especially when it comes to impatience, weariness, and now complaining. Now, there's something else here that I think I would be grossly remiss were I not to address, and it's very important that we address it related to complaining. 
why would this rise to the level? I mean, wouldn't it stand a reason that, okay, remain strong, uh, you know, be patient, but stop complaining. Why? I can think of a few other things that would maybe be a better fit. But why, why this? Why does this rise to the level of being included in a list in this context? And thankfully, <laughs> we need to look no further than to the book of Numbers, a book that gets a lot of bad press. Because when someone asks about the book of Numbers, what's the book of Numbers about? Numbers. Sounds very boring to me. It's anything but. For those of you that went through that book, that study with us, verse by verse, oh my goodness, what a book. Actually, I want to draw your attention to three accounts in chapters 12, 14, and 16. And I would certainly encourage you to turn there. Let's start with chapter 12, the first two verses. This is going to answer the question, and I hope by the help of the Holy Spirit tie everything together in the context of the nearness of the rapture of the church. Now, this is Miriam and, and Aaron. Now, you understand, th th this is uh, the sister and older brother of Moses. And we read in verse 1, Numbers 12, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Why? Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Almost sounds redundant, but apparently they took issue with the fact that he married. He married an Ethiopian. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Uh-oh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So you're complaining against your brother, actually your blood brother, which would be akin to complaining against your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ. And the Lord heard it. By the way, and the Lord heard it means um, this ain't okay. Because you see, Moses is my man. So you're not just complaining against Moses, your brother, you're complaining against me. Because I chose Moses. I called you a brother. And you got a problem with that? Oh, and his Ethiopian wife, oh, they always attack the wife. You know how that is, right? I'm sorry, women, but man, you guys, you have a way. Just, you don't even have to say anything. Just the way you look, up, look them up and down. Oh, don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. And they took issue with his wife. Now, you know what's going to happen, right? I'm going to give you the rest of the story, spoiler alert. 
I'd still encourage you to spend some time in the book of Numbers and read this account. Um, Miriam is struck with leprosy. You think God took it pretty seriously that they would complain against their brother Moses, whom God had called and chosen? And here's Moses. I mean, he's a humble man. We know the account of when God called him after 40 years on the backside of the desert. Not just the desert, the backside of the desert. He's 80 years old, and God calls him. And what does Moses do? He's like, you know, that was a very old prayer, Lord. And that was like a 40, 50 year old prayer. And that ship has sailed. And uh, that file is closed. And uh, you got the wrong guy. And he's arguing with God. He never wanted to be used and called to be the deliverer that God was calling him to be. And so he starts talking about how I can't even talk anymore. I've developed a speech impediment being here for 40 years. The only thing I've been talking to her, sheep, and bah, I can't even talk anymore. That, that's why throughout the Old Testament you read, and God commanded Moses to have Aaron speak to the people. Oh, I, I know you can't, but you're still not getting out of it. My point being is that Moses didn't posture himself in the position for which he's being accused. I never asked, I never applied for this job to be the spokesman through whom God would speak. It's going to come up again here in a moment. And it runs in the family, because <laughs> we're going to see it with Moses' cousin here shortly. Numbers 14. This one's really interesting to me. Let me just read verses 2 through 4. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Oh, Aaron, how's it feel? <laughs> Shoes on the other foot, a little taste of your own medicine. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. You know what God's response was to this? The reason why this is so interesting, it's actually stunning to me, because God's like, that's it, I've had it. I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. I'm not going to, they will, they, I'm, they're done. I'm going to give you all of the blessings and all of the promises that I was going to give to them. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's go ahead with that one. That sounds really good. But what does Moses do? Well, God knew what Moses was going to do. Otherwise, <laughs> see, this is why, by the way, God does not offer offers like that to people like me, because He knows that we'll accept them. He knew Moses would not take the deal, so to speak. Instead, Moses appeals and pleads with God. So you can't do that, God. You have a reputation. Egypt's going to hear about it. 
I mean, I'm, 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 I'm so moved and touched that you would want to start over with me, but you can't do that. And God knew He would say that. He wanted to start all over. He just wanted to wipe them out. You know, there's some humorous accounts. This is one of the many reasons why I know that God has a sense of humor. The main one is, every time I look in the mirror, I know God has a sense of humor. But this is one of those times where, I mean, there's a dialogue between Moses and God. And by the way, God says to Miriam, back in chapter 12, and uh, his brother Aaron, uh, I speak to your brother face to face. How about that? And so here's this conversation recorded for us in the pages of Holy Writ between God and Moses. And they're going back and forth like a parent. Your people. You know how it is, mom, dad, when your, your son, oh, my son now. And they're disowning them. God's like, your people. Moses going, these aren't my people, they're your people. They're going back and forth. They're not taking ownership of them. Come on, you did that as parents. Just, just humor me. Tell me you did that. See, anyway, my wife so many times, you need to deal with your son. After all, that comes from your side of the family. I'm used to it. Everything bad's my, my side of the family. But they're going back and forth over this whole thing. And, and God Again, he knew what Moses' response was going to be. How many times did Moses and Aaron both intercede on behalf of the people for God to stop killing the people? Why was God killing the people? Because they were complaining. They were complaining, murmuring, grumbling. Do you get the impression that God takes this seriously? There's, there's so many. I'm, only selecting three in the interest of time. One of them is when they were complaining and God just sends these fiery serpents and bites them and they start dying. And Moses and Aaron are praying and pleading with God to stop the snakes. And that's when Moses is told to make this bronze or this pole and put a bronze serpent in the shape of a cross, a type of the crucifixion before a Roman cross had even been thought of. And if they would but look on that cross, they would be saved and healed. By the way, that's a, the modern medical symbol is a perversion of that, by the way, of the pole on the cross. It was vertical, horizontal, and then a bronze snake, a picture of the cross. Numbers 16. Let me read verses 1 through 3. This, and you'll forgive me for my warped sense of humor, but this is my favorite one because of what God does when this happens. Now, Korah, this is Moses' cousin, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took man. And, verse 2, number 16, they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. These were 
the board, the elders, the leaders. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron, verse 3, and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? What? I told you I never applied for this position. I tried to get out of this. I tried everything. God would not let me out of this. I did not exalt myself. God exalted me and placed me in this position. And oh, by the way, have you been talking to my brother and sister? I wonder what Aaron thought, because this was against Aaron too. You know, God doesn't just speak only through you. Who do you think you are? You're all that. God speaks through us too. Why do you, you're so full of yourself. You exalt yourself in the assembly of the Lord. Well, again, this is why it's my favorite. And you'll forgive me for the humor that I see in this. But Moses, being the humble man that he is, says, okay, you know, this, first of all, this is getting really old. <laughs> We need to settle this, because apparently you guys have a problem with me. But it's, your problem is not with me, because God's the one who called me and exalted me and chose me and speaks for me. So if you've got a problem with me, actually your problem is with God. And by the way, this comes from the garden. This is the Adamic sin nature in every single one of us. What happened when sin entered the world? And God asks Adam, what have you done? He knows what he did. And they're hiding. And Adam, what does he do? He, <laughs> come on, you know what he did. He blames the wife, but he's not really blaming the wife. It's the woman you gave me. Husbands, don't ever say that to your wife, or to the Lord for that matter because it's not really the wife you gave me. The emphasis isn't, it's the wife. No, it's the wife. You! It's your fault. You're blaming God. And then with Eve, it's no better. So what does Eve do? She's like, well, actually it's the serpent you put in the garden. It's your fault. So apparently, God, you need to deal with this matter. And Adam and I will be over here. Just let us know when it's worked out. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They're, they're actually complaining and murmuring and blaming God. And God does not take that lightly. So Moses says, okay, let's settle this. Tomorrow morning, first thing, let's meet here at the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And we'll let God decide. If it's you, fine. Hey, in fact, you know what? I'll just go back to Oahu and uh, <laughs> retire there, and you can have it, as a matter of fact. But let's see whom God will choose. Whether it's you, Cora, cousin, cuz. I thought you were my cuz. Or me. So first thing in the morning. Oh, uh, 
would have loved to have been there. So here's Korah. Can you imagine him walking up all, you know, puffed up and all of his followers that he's recruited, 250 men, just all proud. And here's Moses like, okay, Lord, can we just, what do you, can we just settle this? So God's like, yeah, we're going to settle this. I'm sorry. The ground, the earth (laughs) opens up and swallows them up. Okay, I guess it's Moses then. And they all perished. Oh, it even gets worse than that. Now, true to form, Moses and Aaron start pleading with God to not kill them. Because even after the earth opens up and swallows them up, all for complaining, the ones that didn't get swallowed up when the earth opened up, they were complaining against Moses and Aaron for killing them by having the earth open up and swallow up. And God's like, (laughs) If I'm Moses, I'm like, you you didn't just say that. Oh, yes, you did. (laughs) So God starts killing them. This is a great devotional. It's a deterrent when your kids are young. No wonder our boys are so traumatized. A lot of our devotions were about complaining and stop complaining and life isn't fair. We even made up a song. You want to hear it? I I haven't sung it for a while, so why not? The world, it doesn't revolve around you and life. It isn't fair. Ba-boom, boom, boom. The world, it doesn't re... Capono, can you put some uh, music to that? This is not exactly a worship or praise song, but it's a great song for kids. Because that's what they think. That's not fair. We live in a fallen world. Life is not fair. Oh, by the way, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's not about you. Anyway, I digress. I feel better now. I hope you do too. So now we, we still have a problem here because so many of them now are killed because of this. And again, you'll forgive my humor, but if I'm Moses and after the earth had opened up and swallowed them up, here's what I would have said, which is why God would never call me as He did Moses. I would have said, Anybody else have a problem with me? <laughs> let's, let's talk about it right now. This would be a really good time to settle it. Nope, I'm good. I'm good. Love you, Mo. Love you, bro. Again, it's a, it's a humor thing that you have to appreciate whether you like it or not. Let's, let's bring it in for a close. What's the answer to our question? Some of you are like, what was the question again? How does complaining fit in with being patient and remaining strong? Oh, when you know that the judge 
takes it very seriously, first of all, is at the door and hears every complaint. It, by the way, common denominator, every single one of these, false accusation, false accusation. In fact, truth be made known, they were accusing Moses of what they themselves were guilty of. And that's usually how it works. He exalts the humble, and he humbles the exalted. Uh, or he kills them, <laughs> has the earth swallow them up. Anyway, last one of that. But uh, here, here's the point. When, when you know, now stay with me, because I'm going to get, before we close, I'm going to get in your grill a little bit here, in love. But the judge is at the door and sees every single social media post we post. Maybe you'll think twice about posting it then, because the judge is at the door. And we're going to be judged for every word that we spoke. And complaining rises to the level in fact, the Apostle Paul, you know his grocery lists, I'll call it that, when he talks about sexual immorality, murders. I mean, he, it, it's, it's horrific. And then tucked into that list is gossiping. Wait a minute, Paul, you're including gossiping in with murder and sexual immorality? Yeah. Because see, you're you're murdering them. You're assassinating their character. We've talked about this. I won't get into it. But if, if you, you hate or complain or murmur, or grumble against your brother, you're, you're murdering them in your heart. And when you gossip, you're, you're basically spreading this like a cancer. And then that poor person that you're, and by the way, this needs to be said too. If somebody's talking to you about someone behind their back, I promise you they're talking to them about you behind your back. Okay. I, I get very concerned when somebody starts, and I end the conversation, by the way. I say, what, why are you talking to me about them like that? And what are you saying about me to them behind my back, if you're saying that? to me about them behind their back. God takes it very seriously. God takes it very seriously. And the judge is at the door. The Lord's return is near. The rapture is imminent. And that should change the way we act towards each other, the way we behave with one another. It should affect everything we do, everything we say. It should also strengthen and encourage us just to hold on, endure patiently, just be patient, hold on. There's no reason to complain or murmur or blame. I'm coming. Just hold on. And that's how it ties in. Kapono, come on up. Please stand. We'll close in prayer. and. Father in heaven, I did my best. Again, I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will take this word. And as only you can, Lord, begin that process as arduous as it might be for some of us. I'll include myself in that.
begin that process of applying it to our, our lives. Sometimes it's a hard word, but it's a good word. It's certainly not what our ears are itching to hear, but it is what we need to hear. And Lord, we do know that Your return is near. And Lord, I thank You that it is, because it does change everything. And Lord, come quickly, we pray, Maranatha, in Jesus' name, Amen.